In Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Today, the satraps go up against the law of God. This is day 11. Welcome to the Journey Through Daniel podcast, where every day we set aside space in our lives to experience God's Word. Together, we'll discuss the content and meaning of each passage and how the book of Daniel can help us understand more about who God is and the story he's writing for each of us every day. Welcome back to day 11 of the Journey Through Daniel podcast. Kicking off week three, I'm here with Brendan Lang. Hey. As always, you're here every day. I'm, isn't that crazy? <laughs> it's crazy how that works. But today, we also have Kelly King. I'm back. The author day. The authors of their journey books. <laughs> and wow, what a Monday this is. Is today Monday? I'm feeling it today. <laughs> I'm feeling this Monday. It's not really. <laughs> we're not Run recording on a Monday. I know it's Thursday, but we're not recording day 11 on a Monday, is a Monday. But I don't even know what day of the week it is anyway. Who yeah. does? I know I work some days and some days I don't. <laughs> like my week is usually organized around Sunday, like just historically right. with work right. and stuff. But now it, Sundays are so different that I don't know what day of the week it is anymore ever. So. I agree. I feel that for sure. And also like three days a week, I'm home with my kids. So like I'm just alternating back and forth, back and forth and back and forth. So it's like, okay, what day am I home two days in a row with my kids? Mm. Like that's the question. But we're not really talking about that, though. No. Some people would say that the pandemic and quarantine is some sort of persecution. My question today is, what's the most persecution you've actually faced in your life? Oh, that's nice. And like... You don't take this too seriously. I feel like, honestly, <laughs> Kelly, listen, I'm a white man. So like, uh-huh, uh-huh. in case I didn't come across in my voice, I'm a white man. I've had quite a bit of privilege even walking into some situations around the world where I shouldn't. But even just, you know, you stand out and there's a good amount of privilege that comes from that. But I was going to go with like high school. I remember uh-huh. I had these shoes that were two sizes too big and people <laughs> called me a clown. Never oh. wore those again. Mm. But my mom was convinced that I was going to grow from a size 12 to a size 14. Spoiler, that never happened. That seems like still kind of fresh. The clown. That was... Well, wait, what are you saying? (laughs) We've all been saying this about you. Just you aren't aware of it. Oh my goodness. No, it just feels like it's like still stings a little. Still healing. Yeah, it's definitely been formative. You haven't haven't fully processed this. Maybe we should. Okay, this is now what this podcast (laughs) is. Oh my goodness. We're not talking about that. But I'll say I didn't wear those shoes again. And that was almost two decades ago now. So that makes me feel old. Yeah, decades. When you start organizing your life by decades. Anyways, what type of persecution have you all faced? I have not faced persecution. So I just want to actually just state that i was called brenda a lot growing up i guess uh, and what else was i called i was a weird place i just want to name that yeah not that it's bad to be called Bre- i'm just trying to think of like what are the things that people did to tease me what were my clown shoes you're like actually the most persecution <laughs> i face is on this podcast <laughs> yes. <from you. laughs> yeah the amount of times that you brought up brooklyn and the brooklyn bridge that we yeah, sold this is my most difficult experience in life which tells you a lot about my life it's kind of like <laughs> andy from the office where he's like yeah oh, i haven't yeah. had a very difficult life <laughs> yeah 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 Oh, that's a, quite the question to start off with. I think, like Brendan said, I'll answer like the teasing aspect because I think, sure, there's been moments as like a woman facing things like that, but still like being white brings a lot of privilege that shields me from a lot of other things. But I think my clown shoes would probably revolve around being pretty short my whole life. So like mm. all the short jokes, like, I remember my driver's ed instructor would always be like, so like, can you reach the sink in your kitchen? And he would like always make these jokes what? to me. And like, yeah, also it was, from a driver's it was, ed person? Yeah, I was a 
a weird class, but <laughs> lots of short jokes about like, oh, you probably can't reach anything. I mean, they weren't wrong, but. Could you reach the pedals? I mean, yes, while I mine could. is over here, like, we're going to need to get a bigger car. <laughs> I mean, like I that. make those jokes to you about right, being that's tall, true. but and that's The bad. weather is fine up here, by the way, Kelly. But... I can't hear you. You're on another. All right. Wheel. So I do get harassed for how I drive. I have experienced <laughs> that as well. So <laughs> Again, we need yeah. to name before we even move on, which like that's all some level of persecution. But let's just name that. That's not real persecution. <laughs> We are lucky to say that. So we're going to dive into the next couple of weeks, honestly, a different level of persecution that comes about to our main character or our protagonist here, who is Daniel. So without further ado, let's kick it off to one of the most famous stories in the Bible. Brendan. Day 11, standing firm in the face of lions. Daniel 6 introduces us to another ruler, and not just a new ruler, but a new empire, the Persian Empire ruled by Darius the Mede. While the leaders and their governments have changed, some of the ways they conduct their business have remained the same. In fact, just as the story of Belshazzar in Daniel 5 paralleled the story of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4, the story of Daniel 6 parallels the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3. In Daniel 3, three men of Judah were faced with the life or death decision of whether to bow down to a statue or remain loyal to God. Now in Daniel 6, a different man of Judah, Daniel, is faced with a similar choice, praying to an earthly king or being killed for praying to God. In this story, Daniel is set up by a group of local politicians who are jealous of his high position within the government. Hoping to see this foreigner fail, they play on pride and self-image to manipulate King Darius into making a law that says anyone who prays to any god or human being except Darius should be thrown into the lion's den. Daniel's response to the law, which pitted loyalty to the king against loyalty to God, is noteworthy. Daniel 6.10 says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Daniel's response here is an act of both defiance and discipline. It is an act of courage and also his common practice. He immediately rebels against the decree by going to God in prayer, but his prayer is not some spurious exhibition. It is simply a continuation of what he had been doing all along. Daniel's faithful living in the midst of his ordeal must be a model for us. His private practice produced public devotion. In our social media-driven society, we too often get those things reversed. We mistake people for their personas. We think faithfulness is primarily about what we publicly say rather than what we privately and perpetually do. That kind of faith only leads to a veneer of cultural Christianity and a private life that remains untransformed. If we want to stand firm in the face of lions, it's the regular and unremarkable spiritual habits that will build our strength and deepen our faith. For day 11, we're reading Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. 
Now your majesty issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Kelly, you want to take us through our discussion questions for day 11? Question one. Daniel 6.4 tells us that Daniel was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent, even as a captive working in a foreign government. Who do you know that could be described in similar terms in a difficult work environment? Why should it matter how we conduct our business? Question two. What is your current prayer life like? What is keeping you from embracing a routine like Daniel? Remember that VeggieTales song? Which one? one? Stand for what you believe in. Oh, yeah. Stuck in my head because this is standing for. I didn't like watch that season as much as like the mm. OG stuff. But... I don't know what you're going to do. The king likes Daniel more than. Yeah, me. I mean, that's what it seems like today. But like, give us some context here, Brendan. I don't even know who this king is. What happened? And also, how old is Daniel now? Daniel's got to be old by now. What's life expectancy? 80 years old, right? Around I mean, I don't know what life expectancy is. I mean, I'll look it up. If you don't know that, I'll look it up. He's minimum of. He came to Babylon in 605. And this is at least 539 BC. So do the math. 61, 66 years old. And that's assuming he comes to Babylon when he's an infant. And that this could be later on. So it's not totally clear. He's an old dude. And we got that from the last chapter, right? He's this guy who had worked in the government of Nebuchadnezzar. Belshazzar didn't know him because he's kind of fallen off the scenes. So there's a new government, new king. It's the Persian Empire. In Daniel 2, we heard about this dream that there would be empire after empire after empire. And we're going to read about that again in Daniel 7. Empire after empire after empire. Another parallel will have a fun chance to talk about in a couple of days. But it's the Persian Empire. What will at this time become the greatest, largest empire the world had ever known? This empire was led by someone known as Cyrus the Great, who's mentioned a number of times in scripture. Now, here this person is named Darius. And there's a lot of debate about who this person is because Darius was a common name. A number of Persian kings had this royal name. Think like King George or King, you know, whatever. It's a throne name, you might say. But at this time, at least if this is... 539 BC when the Persians are in charge and whatever, Darius isn't a king. The king that we would expect to read about here is Cyrus the Great. So who is Darius the Mede? A lot of debate about this, and we could spend this whole podcast and several more sure. unpacking the issue. Some people actually think Darius the Mede is a different name for Cyrus the Great. It's because of, if you look at the very last verse in this chapter, which we'll read tomorrow, it says, so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. That word translated as and is the most common word in the Bible. Not surprisingly, it's a vav, is what we call it in Hebrew or Aramaic. I guess, but it can function in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it can mean and like in addition to, but it can have this explicative function as what we now we're describing. Yeah. Well, it could be translated. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius. That is the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. So that's one possible way to understand it. Could be that these are actually the same guy. It's just a different name, which is not uncommon. People oftentimes have, again, like King George or whatever, King James's, right? Or Belshazzar or or Belteshazzar. Well, (laughs) and Daniel. Well, Belteshazzar. Yeah, exactly. For example. Exactly. So that could be, there's some other suggestions. 
Diego. Yes. One of the Hebrew boys. Exactly. It's a throwback for you. The Hebrew boys. I don't know how they're doing right now. Anyways. We'll, we don't read about them anymore, unfortunately. I think the point here is like, there's a new empire. Yeah. You know, there is historical evidence to point that like these kings existed in some way or fashion. Well, the, what's abundantly clear is there's a new empire. The yep. Persians have taken over. That much is clear. It's in the book. We know about this in history. And one of the points is that Daniel has survived all this. Yeah. This book talks about the rise and fall of empires and how God elevates and stays faithful to those who are loyal to him. And what we see here now is sort of a flushing out of that with Daniel. Daniel has served under all these kings who have risen and fallen, and now he's actually surpassed empires. And still through it all, he finds himself in a high position of authority yeah, within a the leadership government. position. Yeah. I mean, we read in this passage that he was put over some of them. And then because he was great at mm-hmm. what he did and great and faithful, he continued to rise through the ranks and was at the point where he was getting the ultimate promotion, going to be put in charge of the whole kingdom. And man, he's number two, right? Well, right. What's the deal with all these people? Why are they hating on him? Like, why don't they like him? Like Jealousy. Or is it just like everybody? Like, if anybody was in that position, you'd try to like tear him down, you think? I mean, what do people do in our world when others get positions that we want? And not just others, but someone who didn't grow up necessarily yeah. or was born in the same place yes. and came as an exile and by all accounts is supposed to be like a lower member of society yeah. to surpass them. Like, I think we see that a lot. It was kind of a world. leading question for me, too, because it's just like, well, what happens when we shift which party is in control of the White House, you know? Or not but, just that. It's like, I mean, you talk about immigration, concern about foreigners coming and taking our jobs. Yeah. And it's like, it speaks to us in our workplaces when our colleagues get promoted for jobs that we wanted for ourselves. The jealousy that we see evidence here, it's a different time, a different culture, but in a lot of ways, the same concerns. So it says right here, Daniel, even in the face of all this stuff, he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. So when they went to find all that stuff, they couldn't find anything to hold against him. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious what that means, even just like, what's the implication from scripture? Why did they include that? He's trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. It seems very intentional, I guess. Yeah. I think the next verse, verse five, is really important too, because the men said, we'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And so I think those two verses together show us that he was someone who not only like thrived and succeeded in the career that he was put in, but also he was trustworthy, corrupt. And even these people recognize that like the only way we will trap him, Mm -hmm. like he has so much integrity and is so trustworthy, not corrupt, that the only way we can trap him is to do something in terms of his religion, which also tells us that Daniel was open about his faith and that people knew that he believed in a different God. And so I think those two verses paint the picture of who Daniel was and the fact that like even these people that were trying to essentially take him down out of jealousy or Mm -hmm. whatever it was still recognized his devotion to God and his commitment to do all things well and with excellence. What we see later on in the chapter, he's described as being saved from the lions. Spoiler. Because he trusted. <laughs> That's tomorrow or no. something. What? That's all right. Because he trusted in his God. But that trust that he manifests later, it has the same root as what's described here because he was trustworthy, mm-hmm. Amon. And so it's showing that the things that help him get through the tough times, he's already doing. He's mm-hmm. trustworthy. He's innocent. And, and it reminds you a lot of ways of the picture we get to see of Jesus in the New Testament. He's someone who's innocent, who's faithful, who's loyal. And his loyalty, of course, is above all else to the law of his God, which is to God itself. It's obedience to God. 
I think, too, that's a picture that a lot of Christians use when trying to disciple people. By disciple, I mean mentor or raise up Mm -hmm. new leaders, as they say this line of like, you know, if you're trusted in the little things, Mm -hmm. then you'll be trusted in the big things. But if you're not, the alternative is true. So I think you see that with the Hebrew boys earlier, you know, they were trusted in to not eat the food of Mm -hmm. Nebuchadnezzar. So when the furnace came, that same sort of faithfulness and integrity carried them through, right? We've talked a lot about like how kings in the book of Daniel, emperors, are corrupt and abuse their power and are arrogant and all sorts of things like that. But here, I mean, Darius is somewhat that way. He does make a decree that says everybody's got to pray to me, right? Which is similar to Nebuchadnezzar's making a statue of gold that represents himself. It's the same thing happening again. It's going to be the same thing that they're going to see later on when Antiochus Epiphanes calls himself God manifest. We've talked about how kings are corrupt sometimes, but corruption isn't always just at the top. It's actually at multiple levels. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's those middle managers, those administrators who work behind the scenes to manipulate those in charge to accomplish their purposes and bring down their peers. I think it points back to the theme that you see throughout the book of Daniel of pride and humility, and no one is immune from that. Whatever position you're in, if you succumb to the pride and the feeling of having power, then the way you treat the people around you and the way you function will reflect that, whether or not you're at the top or in the middle Mm -hmm. or at the bottom. It's a reminder that in some sphere of life, we likely have some type of power. And when we do that, when we have that, how are we using? Are we using it for good? Are we faithful? Are we not corrupt like Daniel? Or are we the type of people who use what little influence we have to change, affect the decisions of kings for the bad? I mean, you look at it in the state traps here and, you know, their motivation for why they do this is completely out of jealousy. Yeah. Or they just don't like Daniel or the way he leads or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting to me that the way that they go about their corruption is to fluff the ego. And yeah. I think too often that's the case mm. in our world. We call it, you know, sucking up or brown nosing or something yeah. like that. Those terms are even offensive and they're <laughs> right. There's yeah. a lot of history behind those. And too often when we are in places of power, and I'm guilty of this, the way that we're most easily manipulated is when people try to fluff your ego and appeal Mm. to your pride, you know? And if you are humble in those moments, if you're doing the Lord's work, living your life in a way that is in accordance with God's plan, those things are a testament to God and not a testament to yourself, right? And that's the way that you are not manipulated. You give all of that to God where power comes from. And you see the opposite example here. And that's how this decree gets issued. And I think on the other side of that, you see the example of how Daniel responds, because if anyone had a right to respond defensively and to make his case, it was Daniel because the people accusing him knew that he was innocent. But instead of fighting or defending, we don't know what he said in that moment, but we know that's what was recorded was that he went and he prayed and did the exact thing that he was being accused against. But he believed in God and believed that he needed to continue to be obedient, that his first gut response, his instinct was to continue doing that. And I think if I was in his shoes, I would have been fighting. I would have been saying like, you mm-hmm. are a liar. You know that I didn't do that. You can't touch me, but I probably would not have thought to go and pray, yeah. which speaks a lot about me. So it, It's interesting because the first thing he does is break the law. You know? Yeah. Right. yeah. And this is what I find so fascinating. It's an immediate act of defiance, but it's the way the text is written, and the NIV gets at this with this translation where it says, just as he had done before. Even the way the verbs are presented in Aramaic, they show that this has been his continual practice. This is something he would regularly do. And so it's an act of defiance, but it's also what he had always been doing. And so he's just doing his normal routine. So he goes to God with the issue, but 
it's not, again, some extraordinary prayer. It's just the thing he would always do anyway. And it's a practice, right? They even name the practice. Three times a day, yeah. he prayed to Jerusalem. He got on his knees in his room. He's not trying to make a show of it. He's not trying to do it for anybody else except yeah. for the law of God. And that's kind of the tease I put in the beginning of today's is the satrap scope against the law of God. And it's ironic because you have two laws. It's the law of God mm-hmm. that the satraps are trying to manipulate and pin as a negative thing against Daniel. And you have Daniel going up against the laws of men. And there's two different methods of doing it. You have one where you power up and you use every influence you can and you issue a decree of how you do it. Mm -hmm. And then you have one that is a peaceful protest and you have one that shows humility and practice. And I can't spoil it because I guess you don't get to see how it ends today. But yeah, in this moment, Daniel, I mean, it also says he's giving thanks to his God in that practice. Mm -hmm. Like it's just putting all the glory back and like the focus on God, but it's like his own act of civil disobedience, but he does it in a humble way where he's also willing to accept whatever punishment comes with it. In letter from Birmingham jail by Martin Luther King Jr., he actually references Daniel and the Hebrew boys, but he references their kind of civil disobedience, but that they do it on the grounds of a higher moral law. That's his words. And he talks about how they do it with a humility of willing to accept whatever punishment comes with it. It's not showy. It's not self-righteous or anything like that. It's a commitment to what they believe is true and humility that there is a broken system and it might come with consequences, Mm. but in an effort to stand up for what they believe in, they will accept that knowing that they have stood up for what they know is right. I particularly, as we're navigating this cultural moment, that's pretty difficult to sit on the sidelines of. And, you know, people have named that if you sit on the sidelines, you're complacent and you're complicit too. That was my next word. Oh, well, sorry. (laughs) I thought that was going to be your first word. (laughs) Well, yes. And, you know, it's a difficult thing to navigate because it does mean like, you know, what are the consequences for myself? And we talked earlier too, like about what type of persecution have you faced in your life? Persecution is not always... In fact, I would like to argue that most of the time it's not. I mean, my shoes did nothing against anybody else just because they were big. And people make fun of short people and they make fun of tall people. Mm -hmm. Like, there's nothing just about that. It is a broken system, you know? And I would say a lot of times, just like growing up in different churches and things like that, I've heard this idea that, oh, like Christians in other countries are facing persecution or things like that, which is 100% true. But I think a lot of times we're blind to the persecution of other people groups around us because it's not necessarily active actions or words, but it's behind the scenes, things that are built to put others at a disadvantage. And I think that's an important thing to remember that when we're talking about privilege and persecution and all of those things, so many people around us are facing things that we would never see or be able to relate to and you just never know like what the people around you are and oftentimes those are faithful humble christians who are seeking god like why is this happening yeah and they're feeling it they're Mm -hmm. feeling the persecution from people who also claim to follow that same god and so like we've been talking about all along what kind of character are we in this story well that's the question what character are we in this story just for me, my initial inclination is like, yeah, I'd probably be a satrap <laughs> in this situation. Because <laughs> like, man, I feel that. I feel that jealousy for sure of mm. people who get noticed and like raised up and the people who... Who get mean, the opportunities that you wanted. Totally. They've charted a different path and it's worked out for them. And even just like the age thing, you know, I feel that tension of like, oh, come on, you're going to let the old guy and like, you know, the average age of Congress is what? And like, oh, is that, you know, mm-hmm. I, can, I can get all on my soapbox. But like, I feel all that for sure. It's probably the most vicious of the characters. And that's 
my own thing to figure out personally, but you know, Darius is being led by these people or manipulated by these people and Daniel is being opposed to them. And it is so much easier to go along with 150 satraps and try to tear down one person than it is to be the one person who dissents. Who are you, Brendan? Oh, who am I? I mean, I think we are all probably every character in the story, but I think the point is to try to be the Daniel. That's the whole point of the book. Here's a guy who, in the midst of oppression, in the midst of difficult times, again, we don't always face those difficult times, but sometimes we do. And when we do, how are we going to live? Are we going to manipulate the situation for our own cause? Are we going to just choose to trust God? And that doesn't mean like, again, passively allowing terrible things to happen to us, but it does mean I answer to a higher authority. I answer to a higher king who controls the world. And because I know he controls the world, I'm going to be loyal to his law. I'm going to be loyal to the things he asked me. I'm going to be loyal to the kingdom ethics that Jesus talks about in the gospels, because that's the true kingdom. That's the kingdom that's going to endure forever. And so I'm going to be faithful to that. And I'm going to trust that in the end, if I do that, if I express that allegiance and loyalty to King Jesus, then he's going to raise me up somehow, some way in the end. I think that the most applicable way in this passage to be like Daniel is to enact the practices that we can fall back on when things are hard. Even just like super practically, I'm talking about our church, you know, we've for years talked about the reality that less and less people are going to come to church in person until they feel comfortable in the draw towards community. And so we need to show online digitally with our team and impress this idea and vision that like the experience is also the video and the digital experience and all that stuff. So when the pandemic hit, it was hard for a lot of churches to pivot and get what they normally do to translate to an online experience. But for us, these are practices that we've known we're going to need. And so our team was ready for it. We had people ready to go and they're like, oh, this is exciting. This is what we do every Sunday anyways. Let's do this thing. And that's just like an example of like the things you practice every day, they'll carry you through whatever turbulent times happen. And, you know, if you're praying three times to Jerusalem, then it's going to carry you through. And if that's what people have a problem with is the practice, the holy practice that God calls you to, then God will fight that battle for you. Mm-hmm. You know, God will go ahead of you and handle that. You don't have to go on your own. You fall back on the practice and be faithful to that. And that battle will be fought for you. I think Daniel's example just gives us hope that for each of us, wherever we are and wherever your job is, whether you stay at home, whatever you do, that there's a way to live in society with things you agree with, things you disagree with, but find a way to do it authentically with integrity and also uphold our obedience and our loyalty to God and that faithfulness will be rewarded. Thanks for joining us today for the Journey Through Daniel podcast. If this is your first time, so glad that you checked us out. To check out even more resources, children and family resources, and ebooks for all ages, visit our journey page at willowjourney.org. And follow us for updates at Willow Creek NS on Instagram. If you have questions or would like to learn more about the ministries of Willow Creek Community Church, check us out at willowcreek.org. We'll see you next time.